book of Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 15. If you'll stand for the reading of the word. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. The Bible says that in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and he said, the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren... This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. He was one of us. This man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst And all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch as that the field is called in their proper tongue, Akeldamah, that is to say, the field of blood. Skipping down to verse number 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, Show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he might take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots and the lots fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Like I said before, I don't know what God's up to tonight, but I believe that the Lord put me in this place this evening to maybe with the help of God, stand in the way and stop somebody who's about to go over the edge in their walk with God. And so tonight, for just a little while, I want to bring you this thought, mending the traitor's heart. Mending the traitor's heart. Let's set our Bibles down and ask God to anoint the remainder of our service. God, we're so thankful to be here tonight. God, if there's one thing that I don't want to happen tonight, God, I don't want to miss you. God, I don't want to miss your will for this place tonight. I need your word to go forth tonight. God, without you, Lord, we have no reason to be here, God. Lord, without your spirit, God, we have no reason to gather together, God, but I believe that you want to change somebody's heart tonight. God, I believe that you want to minister to somebody, God, who is at their wits end, God. I believe that you are ready to minister to somebody, God, who has a need in this place. God, we're going to give you all the glory and all the honor and thanks for it, believing, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. Why don't you give a hand clap to the Lord and then you can be seated. Our opening text, Peter has gathered the followers of Jesus together because there was a scripture that had to be fulfilled that there would be 12 after the resurrection that would bear witness of what would take place. And there was only 11 because we know that Judas, after he had betrayed the Christ, took his own life and left the disciples with only 11 And so they cast lots to fill his place. You know, suicide is a rare thing in the scriptures. You've 
Only got a few examples, Abimelech, Ahithophel, Zimri, Saul, his armor bearer, and Judas. Those are the only examples that you'll find. And in Matthew chapter number 10, I think it's interesting, Judas is numbered with the other disciples as being among the ones whom Jesus had given the power to cast out unclean spirits and to heal the sick. He was Judas Iscariot. Judas is a son of the Carathites. That means he's a son of the preachers. Judas Iscariot was a son of the voices of God, the men of God, the preachers of the word. And we don't get a great deal of information about Judas's life, but because he was numbered among the 12, there are a few things about Judas that we can know. There was a time in Judas's life when he genuinely and sincerely believed in Jesus. There was a time in Judas's life that he believed in who Jesus was. At some point in his life, Jesus said something to Judas that made him want to follow Jesus. Just like the other disciples, I imagine that Jesus walked by one day and said, come and follow me. And Judas was drawn in enough that he followed Jesus. Judas had the same calling as the rest of the followers of Jesus Christ. He was a disciple called to be a servant of God. And perhaps most importantly, we can learn that despite his faults, Jesus saw something worth saving in Judas Iscariot. And Judas isn't someone that we sympathize with when we read the Bible. In fact, it's easy to feel justified in rooting against him at times. When we read the New Testament, we know who the bad guy is when we read the New Testament, and it's easy to feel maybe even justified in rooting against Judas. And I've struggled with this for some time, this idea that Judas, it was destined that he had to betray the Lord. I struggled with the idea that it was foretold that Judas had to go through what he went through and do what he did, and that Jesus had to be betrayed how he was because In my mind, it conflicted and contradicted everything I knew about mercy, and it conflicted and contradicted everything that I knew about a man's decision to serve God, and was it really Judas's decision, or was it just destined from his birth that he would be the man that he was and that he would die the way that he did? There's Old Testament prophecies about Judas and the betrayal of Jesus, David in Psalm 41 Zechariah in chapter 11 and Jeremiah 19 are just a few examples. And we know how Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But throughout his life, there were times when the Gospels tell us that Judas stole from Jesus, the one who had blessed him beyond measure. He scoffed at Jesus' ministry at times, even though he had seen the blind eyes open and he had seen the deaf ears unstopped. There were times when he thought walking with Jesus was foolish because of the behavior of the crowds around them. And if we, were, if we were to really examine Judas, we would find that he was not so different from each and every one of us in this room today. Because there have been times, perhaps, when I've rolled my eyes at a sermon. There's been times when perhaps I've robbed God in tithe and offering. There were times when 
It was easy to live a double life, deceiving those around us into believing that we were a a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, when in reality we were living a private life of sin. But for all of his faults, Judas was still called a disciple of Jesus. Jesus never cast Judas out of his presence. Jesus never denied Judas a seat at the table. And in spite of all that he had done, Jesus loved Judas. He loved him. The truth is that when you read about the death of Judas, it seems to be the furthest thing from mercy. In Matthew chapter number 27 and verse 3, the Bible says that then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. In other words, it's your problem. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. One night I was sitting at my desk at home and I had my Bible open reading over these passages of scripture and I asked God, Lord, why was Judas a part of your story at all? What purpose did it serve? Why did things have to end for Judas the way that they did? And as I struggled with that thought, that night I began to pray. God spoke to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you now. And he said, it was ordained from the beginning that Judas would betray me. But Judas didn't have to die. It was always a part of God's plan that he would be betrayed by his own. But nowhere, nowhere in his plan did it say that the one who betrayed him had to die for what he did. And as I look back through all of the Old Testament scriptures after that encounter with God about the betrayal of Jesus, I searched for all the types and shadows that I could find, every scripture that I could find in the Old Testament about what Judas would do. And I realized that there was not one prophecy about the death of Judas. There was not one prophecy that Judas had to die. And so I was forced to ask myself, what happened to Judas that caused him to fall into such a dark place that he forgot he was a child of God? What happened to Judas that he forgot that God loved him even though he had betrayed him? I want to talk to somebody sitting in this room tonight who feels that they have maybe wronged God for the last time and that the Lord has cast them out of his will. Someone who feels that they have reached the end of God's mercy and that there's no hope that God still has a plan for their life. Someone who feels ready to walk away from the church because they don't believe that they will ever really recover. I want to tell you from this place tonight, that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because there is no one in this place who has walked so far from God. There is nobody in this place that has drifted so far from God's will for their life that it's time to call it quits. It is never time to call it quits in the kingdom of God. His mercy still lasts forever. 
And what brought Judas to a place of despair? I reread Matthew 27 and 3. The Bible says that Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself and brought again 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And when I read that, I thought it didn't sound quite right. Because how could Judas repent and still be made to suffer the way that he did? And so as I began to study it, I found that this term repent in this verse is not the same as the word repent in the rest of the New Testament. It does not mean that Judas repented of his sin. It is the word metamelomai, which means uh, contrary to metanoe, which would have meant he repented of his sin. Metanoe would have meant that he had walked away from his sin, that he had decided in his heart that what he did was wrong. But metamelomai means something very different. Metamelomai means that Judas changed his mind, not about his sin, but about himself. Judas knew that what he had done was wrong. And when you read the verse that says Judas repented himself, what it is really saying is Judas despised himself. Judas hated himself. And Judas knew that he was wrong, but I fear much like Judas, sometimes we equate feeling guilty with true repentance. And that is not true repentance. Because guilt will only take you so far before it starts to drive you mad with confusion and shame. If you were to read in the New Testament early on, you would find that it was, in fact, Satan who had entered into the heart of Judas when he had resolved to betray Jesus. And I find it so interesting that Satan was comfortable living with Judas so long as all he felt was guilt for what he had done in the past. Because Satan knows that guilt alone will never be able to change your life. The Bible says that when Judas decided in his heart to betray the Christ, that Satan entered into his heart. And Satan was content to dwell with a man who felt guilty because guilt will not change your life. Guilt cannot change your past. You can feel guilt and shame all you want over the things that you have done, but it is not true repentance, and it will not take away the weight that you feel in your heart. But there is something that you can do when you feel that you've messed up and when you feel that you've walked so far from God that he doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. It's true repentance. It's turning not away from yourself, but away from what you used to be. And Satan knew... Satan knew that guilt alone would never change Judas's heart. And feeling sorry for the things that he had done would never be able to change his life. Judas failed to realize in that moment when he went before the Pharisees and the scribes and he cast down silver in the temple floor. Judas did not need to return the silver. Judas needed to return to God. The night that Judas betrayed Jesus, he should not have been at the temple trying to return 30 pieces of silver, but he should have been at the foot of the cross asking Jesus to forgive him for what he had done. But because Judas was overcome with guilt and did not repent and would not repent of what he had done, he drove himself mad with grief to the point that he took his own life. And you might think to yourself, it's presumptive. 
How can we know that things did not have to happen the way that they happened in Judas' life? How can we know that Judas' betrayal did not have to end with him taking his own life? How can we know that people who betray the love and trust of their creator can get back up? How can you know that? And the answer is because Judas was not the only disciple of Jesus that betrayed him the night he was crucified. Luke chapter number 22 and verse 54. The Bible says, Then they took him, and they led him, and they brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter, he followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat down by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied him saying, woman, I don't know who you're talking about. I know him not. Verse 58 said, After a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of an hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. Say what you will about Judas, but he never denied that he knew who Jesus was. Say what you will about what Judas did to Jesus. The truth is the Pharisees wanted to kill him anyway. Long before Judas ever got 30 pieces of silver for his trouble, the Bible says that the Pharisees were conspiring to kill Jesus. And Judas may have betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but Peter did it for absolutely nothing. Judas never denied that he knew Jesus, but Peter... The one who before the crucifixion said, I'll never deny you. Jesus, you're mistaken. I would never, ever betray you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, before the cock crows, you're going to do it three times. And Peter, the one who was supposed to be the most faithful. Peter, the one who Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom to. The one who preached the first message of salvation. That same Peter... Denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And yet it was Peter in our opening text that I read to you this evening that knew the mission had to still go on. He believed the word enough that he stood up that day when it came time to replace Judas and he said, we must fulfill the scriptures. And I thought to myself, Judas didn't have to die. But why didn't Peter die also? Judas didn't have to suffer the way that he did. You can believe it how you want to. I believe that Judas had to be replaced in the ministry, but his life did not have to be taken from him. 
But I wonder to myself, why did Judas survive and Peter did not? Why is it that Judas couldn't make it in his mind, but Peter made it? And then I realized there's something powerful in the life and the ministry of Peter that will teach us something about mending a traitor's heart. That will teach us something about getting back to God when you feel like you've drifted so far away from him that you couldn't possibly return. There's something in Peter's ministry that I found is the answer to getting back up every time you fall in the presence of God. And I find it in the book of Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 36. Peter has preached on the day of Pentecost. He's preached to those that were gathered together that witnessed what happened in the upper room. It's funny when you understand that everybody that was gathered together that day was a Jew. Everybody that was gathered together that day was somebody who knew who Peter was talking about. It was somebody who had watched Jesus for the last three and a half years do the things that he did. There were people gathered together that day that heard Jesus preach, that saw his miracles, that saw everything that he did and still hated him. They despised him. They betrayed him. The Bible said it like this, that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. And so Peter stands up in front of a crowd of people who have betrayed their master, who have betrayed their Messiah. And he says this, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified. Stop there. God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified. The Jesus that you betrayed, the Jesus that you denied, he is both Lord and Christ. Peter was talking to a group of people who had betrayed Jesus in the book of Acts much like he did. Peter was talking to a group of people that had denied the Lord, witnessed his miracles, witnessed his signs, witnessed his wonders, and betrayed him just like he did. But Peter had an answer for them. Because after he said, this is the Christ, the one that you betrayed, the one that you hurt, the one that you crucified, he's Lord in Christ, the Bible says, then they were pricked in their hearts. In other words, if I could say it like this, they felt guilty. They felt overwhelmed, I'm sure, a lot like Judas did. They felt that knife in their heart when they realized, I have turned my back on God. I have rejected his salvation. I have denied the Lord who delivered me out of the hand of my adversary. And they felt the guilt. The Bible says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And then they said to Peter, what shall we do? Peter did not leave them at guilt. They felt in their hearts, I have betrayed the Lord. I have walked away from God. There is no way that I can be pleasing to the Lord anymore. I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up way too many times. And you can say that to yourself in this place, but I would ask you, how many of you can say that you are responsible, literally responsible for driving the nails in his hands? 
How many can say that you were literally responsible for putting the crown of thorns on his head? Yet even to those people, the ones who had killed Jesus, Peter says it's not over for you just yet. Because while you may feel pricked in your heart and you may feel anguish over what you've done and you may feel like God doesn't want you back and you might feel like you've come to the house of God for the last time and you might feel like you've hurt him too many times, Peter responded to them by saying, get back up, repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name because if you'll do it, he'll still fill you with the Holy Ghost. He's not through with you yet. You might, you might feel in this place today like you've betrayed him for the last time. You might feel like you've walked away from the house of God for the last time you might be tempted to say God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore but can I tell you that God still wants you Peter looks at them he said repent get back up turn away from your sin and if you were to look it up you would find that this word repent it's not metamelomai it's not I hate myself. Right. God, if we could get that in our hearts. Maybe I'm the only one in this place, but I've prayed prayers of repentance like that before. God, I hate myself. God, I hate myself. There's no way you could love me. There's no way you could use me. You can deny it if you want to, but I'll stand on my own two feet and say I've done it. I've prayed those prayers before. God, there's no way you're going to use me. And all the while, Peter's saying, that's metamelomai. You feel bad, and that's good. Guilt will drive you to repentance. But if you don't repent, it'll drive you insane. Acts 2.37 said, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? It's an action. It's a response. It's a response to the pricking in your heart. You see, conviction and guilt are good things in the hands of God. They're tools that the master uses to drive you back to the house of God when you feel like you've messed up. And you feel like you've done wrong. It's that nail in your heart that says, get back to the master. Get back to the master's house. But if you never turn away from the sin... It will destroy you like it did Judas. And Peter said, repent to the crowd that day. He was not saying, hate yourself. He was not saying, beat yourself up. And I realized in that moment when I thought about Judas, that this is why God spoke to me the way that he did about this passage. Because while it may have been true that Jesus had to be betrayed, remember this. Peter betrayed him too. Nobody ever said that the betrayer had to die in his sin. We think too often, I I think about this. They were sitting at supper and the Bible says that Jesus told them the betrayer is among us. And Judas looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, is it I? Think about that. This wasn't a man who hated Jesus. This was just a man who loved the world a little bit too much. Loved influence a little bit too much. The Bible says he loved money 
a little bit too much, keeper of the purse. And he looked at Jesus and he said, is it I? And Jesus said, thou hast said. And after that moment, we don't hear from Judas again until the day that he dies. And I think about this. Judas perhaps knew in that moment when all the disciples, no doubt all 11 of them were looking at him. I have no doubt. They sat in their chairs and they looked at Judas and said, how could you? How could you do it? What are you thinking? Why in the world would you betray him? And I believe in my heart that Judas probably knew in that moment that he had lost the ministry of the 12. I believe that he knew it. In that moment, he realized the scriptures have been fulfilled and the office must needs be replaced. But saint of God, hear me, it could have stopped there. I'm not saying that there was no consequence for what Judas did. There was. But the consequence was, according to the Bible, that he had lost the ministry of the 12. He had lost the office that he held. That did not mean he had to die in his sin. And I know I've talked about this in our morning class before. We see it in the life of David and Bathsheba too. Is that you can read the story of David and Solomon and Bathsheba and you can say, oh, it's, it's a miraculous story. It's a great story about redemption and restoration. And that's true. But remember that in David's life, the Bible says that although he repented and he was forgiven, he was a man after God's own heart, the baby still had to die. But it stopped there. Because of David's repentance, he's not remembered like Saul, his predecessor, the one who chose to fall on his own sword rather than repent. Does it sound familiar? And I think about Judas. It was more important to Judas to keep his name and his reputation. It was more important to Judas that he keep an image of himself that maybe wasn't true than it was just to run back to the cross and say, Jesus, I messed up. Jesus, I'm sorry for what I did. You see, the enemy, more, more often than not, more often than not, the enemy, the enemy of your soul is not necessarily always your flesh. The enemy of your soul isn't always necessarily uh, your desires. Sometimes I sincerely believe that our biggest enemy when it comes to the kingdom of God is just a lack of humility. It's just an unwillingness to say, I was wrong. Just an unwillingness to say, I messed up. And the first step to mending the traitor's heart is to repent of your sin. I look at the life of Peter and he is remembered throughout all of history. He's a great man of God. He's remembered not just in Christian circles but in secular circles as an influential person in history. When if you look at Peter's life and you look at how he lived his life and you look at his faults, by all measurable statistics, it seems that Peter messed up far more often than Judas did. Peter said a lot more things than Judas said. Peter 
was the one who cut off the ear of the centurion. Peter was the one who denied Jesus the right to wash his feet. Peter was the one who lost faith walking on water. Peter was the one who on the day of his crucifixion denied that he even knew the man. The one who had saved his life walking on water one day, the one who had reached down and pulled him up when he fell, denied that he even knew him. But Peter is remembered differently than Judas because Peter understood this principle. A righteous man falls seven times but stands up again while the wicked shall fall into mischief. Understand this, when the writer of Proverbs said it, that the wicked shall fall into mischief but the righteous man will fall seven times and stand up again. If you read it, you're going to find that there's two types of people in this world that fall. You go back and you read it, you're going to realize that the only difference... Between the good and the, the good man and the wicked man in the, in the proverb. He says, a just man, a good man, a righteous man, he falls seven times and stands up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. The only difference between the good and the wicked was that the good decided in their heart, I'm going to get back up again. I'm not going to stay where I'm at. I'm not going to keep living my life in the past. Listen, you cannot change the past. There is nothing that you can do to go back and undo the things that you have done. But my Redeemer lives. And redemption means that while my past cannot change, the meaning of my past can always change. God can take what was your worst nightmare. He can take the thing that you went through that you were a ashamed of and turn it into a testimony he can take the thing that you thought would never recover and use it to reach somebody else who needs recovery God can take the one thing in your life that you thought was broken beyond measure and put it back together for his glory stand with me Mending the traitor's heart. I believe in the church we're in an epidemic. In fact, I know we are. As of this moment right now, and I, I know I mentioned this in our class in the mornings often, but if you're not in the class, you're going to hear it. In this moment right now, churches are closing their doors faster than they ever have in the United States. Expanding globally, but closing their doors here. Suicide rates among pastors now in particular are higher than they've ever been. 70% spike in six years, if you wanted the literal data. People are walking away from God. And although in our class, and I often talk about this, part of the problem is just the simple fact that if you tell people they don't have to change, they won't. But the other side of that same coin is that it's just as dangerous to tell people that they can't change when they can. Listen, it's dangerous to tell people that they don't have to do anything to be saved. That's dangerous. If you're telling people that there's nothing that they have to do, that God takes them on their terms, that's dangerous. But it is just as dangerous to tell people you have no hope of being saved. That there is nothing you can do to be saved. And you might shake your head and say, I've never said that. But think about the last time you saw the backslider 
seven times, eight times, 10 times, 12 times? How many times did it take you? Better question, how many times is it still taking you? Because the last I checked, the very first time I repented was not the last time I repented. And the very first time I needed God was not the last time I needed God. And the very first time I walked in these doors was not the last time I needed to walk in these doors. Listen, a righteous man falls seven times, but he stands up again. We, it's an indictment on the church when we see standing back up as a sign of weakness. Because we look at it as a sign that they fell. And we look at it as a sign that they've fallen. And we look at it as a sign that they're just, their life is blown to pieces. But can I tell you that there's more virtue in the one who's willing to come back in the church house and say, I'm going to try again, than there is in the one who put on a face for years and said, that's it, I'm done. I'm not trying anymore. Are you hearing me? If you're going to mend a traitor's heart in this place, get a spirit of repentance once again inside of you that says, I'm going to try one more time. These altars are open. Listen, the Bible says that his mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. But what about your willingness? His heart is made new for you every day, but is your heart made new for his every day? Because hear me when I tell you that the church is suffering right now from the belief that God wants Saints to come in, get redeemed, get restored, and never mess up again. And if they do, they had better hide it from everybody around them. Because if they don't, they know they'll never be used of God again. And it is destroying people's lives who feel like, because they were called a disciple like Judas, because they were called an apostle, dare I say, because they had a ministry. Because they were one who walked with Jesus one time, they're unwilling to come back to the house of God because they don't want to face their brother that says, I know him. He's the one that betrayed him. Listen, do you, do you really think for a moment that there wasn't somebody in Peter's life who saw him after the day of Pentecost and said, you denied him. You're the one who denied him when I said that you knew him. You're the one that said you never knew the man. And now you're preaching his gospel. What a hypocrite. Yeah, what a hypocrite. But thank God that he doesn't give up on hypocrites. You might be thinking to yourself, there is no way that God is ever going to bring me back into the fold. There is no way that God wants to restore me. But can I tell you that I believe God sent me here tonight to tell you that he is ready to mend a traitor's heart. But you have got to come to him with a spirit of repentance. Not a spirit of metamelomai. Not a spirit of of guilty conscience and of self-hatred. But a spirit of repentance that says, God, I'm ready not to change my mind about myself, but to change my mind about my sin. I'm ready, God, to change my mind about my past. I'm ready to change my mind about the things that I've been through. If you believe that in this place, would you just lift your hands? Find a neighbor to yoke up with right now. Maybe, maybe you're in this place and you felt that burden before in your past. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why don't you find a neighbor and begin to pray with them? Somebody who might be struggling. I believe that God wants to restore somebody in this place tonight. 